0: Hey, everybody. It's Kindle from Recording Lounge. It's June 28th, 2015. I've got another top 10 list for you. So uh, today is top 10 things to improve your workflow. Now, uh, I often get questions about workflow, and um, we had some comments on the Facebook page about, you know, my thoughts on workflow and things like that. And, and workflow is really important to me. Um, me doing this full-time, I need a workflow that, well, works. And, um, well, flows. (laughs) Um, You know, I need something that I can come into work and get to work and have consistent work and know my system inside and out. And um, so today we're talking about some things that you can do to improve your workflow and uh, also a couple other things. So let's get started. Now, these are in no particular order. I tried to order them, but in all honesty, they're all important, and they can all help you improve your workflow. And some of you might have some of these things already. You might have them down, Um, but this is for just the general mass, and these are the top ten things I could think of that I have employed in my system that um, really helped me. So, uh, number ten, have an automatic backup system. Now, backing up is obviously really important in the work that we do because we have very sensitive files. These are people's creations and, uh, you know, they've paid money for them. And even if they're our own creations, I mean, still we spent time and energy and I mean, they're important. It's art, right? So um, we got to be able to to have this stuff backed up and saved in a in a in a meaningful place that we know is safe. Now, um, I use a program called Acronis Backup, and it automatically will back up my entire uh, recording drive um, every single night. And I leave my computer on all the time, 24-7. Uh, we'll talk some more about that a little bit later. But um, this allows me to not have to worry about my backing up. I know that at the end of every day... Um, it's going to back up and it's going to be there and I can recall it at any time. Uh, It backs up to an external drive that's connected to my computer and uh, then every now and then when that drive fills up, I get a new external drive and I put that one away in safety, um, either in a safe or uh, at the bank. Safety deposit box is sometimes a good place to put externals. Um, I mean, uh, you can put it a million different places, you know, that's up to you. Having consistent... Backing up, not not having to worry about it, not having to think about it. You know, are my files safe? Am I going to lose something? You'll never lose anything if you have it automatically backed up. um, You know, every single day. Uh, You know, even if it's the tiniest little mix change that you make. You know, it could be like, oh my gosh, I lost it. I don't remember what I did, and it sounded so much better. Um, You know, that stuff happens. You know, computers are not invincible, and even backup hard drives are not invincible. Um, you know, and I also recommend, as a side point to this one, having a battery backup on your computer. It's obviously a little bit different form of backup, but, um, you know, power cuts out, you're not going to lose your session. Um, I have my computer and my interface hooked up to my battery backup, uh, and that's it. That's the only things that I have hooked up to the battery backup. Um, oh, I actually have a lamp hooked up to the battery backup, just in case, you know, power goes out, and I've still got some light in here. Um... But, uh, so that's all I've got hooked up to the battery backup. I've got a, I think it's a, uh, APC is the brand, uh, and it works really well. And, uh, it, you know, can only hold a charge for a good, I don't know, five, ten minutes. But it's enough to save what you're working on and shut down your computer if the power's not coming back on. Um, you know, you just need to make sure that those types of things, you don't, you want to set up a situation where you feel confident that you will not lose anything. At the very worst, you know, what you might lose is you know something you just recorded due to something minor, um, you know, but something that's you know that will happen every now and then. Um, I once had a plugin issue uh, with an older version of a plugin, and um, I, you know, I recorded something and then uh, the, I opened up the plugin to put it on there, and it crashed uh, my system. And so when I I didn't have I didn't save my session. But the file wasn't really lost. I just had to go find it on my hard drive and then bring it in and then line it up. Um, but, I, you know, it wasn't actually saved in the session. So that's about the worst type of thing that I have happen, which, again, nothing's really lost. Uh, you just kind of have to do a little workaround. But my system backs up every single night. I've got the battery backup on my computer, and uh, the external is plugged into the battery backup as well uh let me i'm trying to think i think that's all i at first i thought it was just the computer and the interface but maybe i do have i have the external plugged in there i believe and then i might have something else oh well, no i don't know anyway yeah those things are important so number 10 be confident and have a good backup situation for audio and also battery backups not a bad not a bad thing either number nine Have a consistent folder hierarchy and saving scheme for your projects. So I'll give you an example of what mine is. Um, In my audio drive, which is uh, a dedicated hard drive on my computer that's specifically for audio projects and nothing else, um, I have my band folders. So all the bands or projects that I work with, so let's say John Smith, go into John Smith's folder, And then it has John Smith's albums. So if I've worked with John Smith only once, um, you know, it might just be songs. But if I've worked with John Smith a couple times, it might be, uh, you know, two folders for albums. I essentially organize it just like iTunes or, you know, any of these other things. So you have your artist and then you have your albums And then inside of those albums, you have your songs. Now, the songs are, again, in separate folders. Um, So, song one, song two, song three, you know, obviously named to whatever they are. And then inside of those folders are all of your audio files and your session files and backups and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is save lots of versions of mixes and of sessions. Uh, I mean, a session file for basically every DAW is small, a couple megs, maybe not even one sometimes, I mean, depending on how much stuff is in there. I mean, if I look at some of my folders here, um, you know, let me pull up a really big song that has a lot of stuff. Um, Let's see here. This is a very large mix. We're talking, you know, 70, 80 tracks, VST instruments, plugins, I mean, all kinds of stuff, and it's three megs. So, you know, <laughs> these files are not big, right? I mean, these are very small files. So, you know, save—I encourage you to save multiple versions. So as soon as you're done doing scratch tracks or, you know, something like that, maybe save a version. Just call it scratch tracks because often those get deleted, um, and sometimes it's a pain to try to find them again. Um, and uh, after you finish recording, the se- you know, everything, before you start mixing, but after you finish recording, save a version— you know, call it rough mix or tracking session or whatever you want. And then when you finish the first mix, uh, you know, that you send to them to send to the client or what you consider to be the first mix, save that as a, as a copy. You know, mix A, mix 1, mix whatever. And then when you do your second mix, you know, save a new copy of that, mix B. Because I can't tell you how many times it's happened where, you know, Sometimes you'll do something on the mix and, you know, you'll do a separate mix and then guys will be like, hey, can we go back to the first mix and just listen to that? And then, you know, it's fine if you just need to listen to the MP3, but if you actually want to start mixing again from the first mix and you've already overwritten that session, um, you know, you're screwed because you can't really, you know, it's going to be a game of like, oh, I didn't save that session. And then you're going to look bad and you're going to have to try to go back to what you did before, you know, so just... Seriously, I mean, hard drive space is cheap. Save as many copies uh, of a session as you want at different uh, sort of checkpoints along the way. You know, when you have a final mix, save it as a separate session. So you can view mix A, this is where we started. Mix B, that's where we kind of went between. Final mix, that's where we ended up. Uh, Here's our scratch tracks. You know, here's right after we finished recording, before there was any mixing. I mean, you can go and look at these things. Um, you can easily open each of these sessions, um, and then, uh, you know, any backup files, um, that in, in. I'm working in Nuendo, as you guys probably know, if you followed me at all, uh, I'm a Nuendo fan, I just got Nuendo 7, it just released a couple days ago, I love it, I absolutely love it, um, I really waited way too long to upgrade, um, but anyway, uh, it saves backup files, it automatically will sa- auto-save, you know, every five minutes. Um, And rather than just overwrite the current session that you're in, it actually saves a backup file, um, which I really like. Um, So every, you know, five minutes, it will save a backup file, you know, .bak is the extension that Steinberg uses for backup files. You know, it'll be, you know, song one. And then every five minutes, it'll be backup, you know, of this song one uh, .bak, song one o2.bok or bak you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it's it's kind of a tongue twister there um but yeah it'll save these backups every five minutes and then um it just kind of keeps replacing your backups and you can select innuendo preferences you can select how many backup files whether you just want one backup file that continues to overwrite whether you want five backup files uh whether you want you know uh you know, so essentially, at any given time, I can go back. You know, within thirty minutes or so, twenty-five minutes um, of my most recent uh, iteration, and and find a certain point, which is really useful for mixing, because sometimes, let's say, I've done this before, where you know you're mixing a song and you start going down this road of doing the drums or the vocals or the guitars a certain way, and you're like, man, that was bad, and you can't just undo necessarily everything. I mean, you can't necessarily undo what plugins you put on or blah, blah, blah. Um, So I can be like, well, let me open up this backup from like 20 minutes ago and let me go backwards a little bit. Um, So you can do that. It's very, very useful. So um, have a good folder saving scheme. Save stuff the same way every time so you know when you go to your audio, you know, your drive or your folder or whatever, you can very easily navigate from artist to album to song to version of song. Very, very quick, very simple. I do it the exact same way every time for consistency. Number eight, utilize good organizational structure in your mixes. Now, I'm a big proponent of this. I've talked about it quite a bit. And if you're a subscriber to the mailing list, at one point I sent out a video um, describing how I set up a mix and how I sort of prepare for mixing um, that kind of talks about quite a bit of this stuff in detail. It's like a 45-minute video. Um, and uh, I can send that out again, I guess, if I, if people want it. Just email me and let me know. Um, t- and I will send it out to people subscribed on the list. It's just the easiest way to contact everybody. Uh, and again, I'll just pop that in there real quick. If you're not subscribed to the mailing list, uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, it's free, it's no spam, I mean, I don't spam you at all, I pretty much just send updates here and there, I send updates when there are new shows, um, and if there's something cool that I want to share, uh, so that is, should be recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up, and, uh, like I said, you just fill out a couple things and it's free and simple. Um, so, what I mean, I'll just briefly cover these things by good organizational structure in your mixes, in your, in your sessions. Um, colors. Okay, colors are one of the most overlooked things that guys are like, you know, they'll some they'll just randomly color things, and I think that's just idiotic. Um, I think that you should always have consistent colors for a certain, not only groups of instruments, but certain types of tracks um, and certain types of, uh, you know, instruments and and groups of instruments and buses and, uh, you know, things like that. So, for example, in my workflow, I can tell you just, I don't even have to think about it, drums are always gray, bass is always purple, electric guitars are always green. Uh, And, of course, like, various shades. Like, if you have, like, lead guitar, it might be a darker green or something. But electric guitars are always green. Acoustic guitars are always brown or, like, a tan, like a dark brown, light brown. Um, Piano is always red. Strings and synths are always yellow. Effects channels, uh, you know, affect auxes, buses, whatever you want to call them. Um, They're always orange. My master bus is red. I used to do blue, but I sort of switched to doing red. Um... Like a really deep red. Lead vocals, if they're a male, are always blue. Uh, lead vocals, if they're a female, are always pink. Uh, backing vocals are always like this sort of teal, aqua color. Um, and I also organize these things. Oh, scratch tracks are always white. Um, I, I just I just know it off the top of my head. I don't even have to think about it. I do it the same way in every single mix. Um, and I do it for, you know, all percussion and drums are gray. And then the drum bus. Uh, is dark gray, and then, you know, i I just do it that way. And whatever colors you want to use, if you don't want to use those colors, then don't use them. Use whatever colors make sense to you. If you think drums, you'd rather have blue, and guitars, you want yellow, and, you know, keys, you want pink. I mean, go for it. Um, But have a consistent color scheme that you do on every single mix forever and ever. Amen. Right. I mean, it's just easier because you're when you need to see the drums, you know that they're the gray tracks. When you need to see the guitars, you can just scroll up and see the green tracks or, you know, whatever. And you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to sit there and be like, okay, where's that guitar? Uh, And and that's just a waste. You know, it's a real waste. And if you do it long enough, then you don't even have to think about it. I mean, I've been doing this colors, this same color scheme for a long time now, and um, I don't even I don't even think about it. Uh, The other thing is an organizational structure, top to bottom, left to right, in your sessions that makes sense. Which, again, I do the same thing every single mix. Vocals are always up at the top. Um, Scratch tracks are usually... They start at the top, but then once I start mixing, I either delete them or move them uh, to the bottom or just hide the track. Um, But anyway, lead vocals up top, backing vocals below that. The main instrument is third, so... Uh, Usually that's a guitar or a a piano, um, but I'll put the main instrument third, and then, aside from that, then I'll put guitars, then I'll put percussion, then drums, then bass, then keys, if keys is not the main instrument, Um, and then I'll put... synths and strings and organs and other you know pads stuff like that other things um below that and then effects are always at the bottom or at the far right of the screen and then at the very far right of my screen is the master bus and it's always that way regardless of session regardless of whatever the genre or type of song might be or or whatever it doesn't matter it's always the same um so again if i need to find the lead vocal I just scroll up to the top or to the far left of my mixer, and there it is. I I just know where it is. Uh, I know that it's track one, always. And uh, I know that my drums are somewhere in the middle. I know that my main instrument is going to be right after the vocal. I know my backing vocals are right after the vocal. I mean, it's it just makes sense to me to do it that way. Um in sort of, it's almost in order of priority, you know what I mean, like uh, vocals are number one priority, backing vocals are usually right there next to it, Um, not in every song obviously, but in in a handful, and then the main instrument and then drums are kind of right there, and then bass right under that, and then all the other stuff. Uh, So, you know, whatever way makes sense to you, uh, if you don't want to put the vocal number one, if you want to do drums first or you want to do the main instrument first, you know, it doesn't matter. It really does not matter. Um, Just something that makes sense to you. I know that guys that work on analog consoles, you know, we'd always have the vocal like right in the middle, which doesn't end up to be channel one. That would be something more like channel, you know, if you're on a big console, it might be 30 or it might be 17 or 28 or 24 or, you know, something. Um, you know, if you had a 48 channel console and you have one through 24 on the left and one through 20, you know, 25 through 48 on the right, I mean, it'd be maybe channel 24 or, or channel 25, something like that. Um, just depending on your type of setup. Uh, so that works for them. That works for guys that have consoles that want the vocal close to the center where they sit. Um, rather than having the, the fader all the way over at the left side. Um, you know, so again, just whatever works in your situation, come up with a consistent way that you organize your sessions in colors and also in terms of, you know... Uh, and, and another thing I'd like to mention is that I always put my buses, my groups, uh, after each section. So I'll have my lead vocal and then a group for my lead vocal, backing vocals, and a group for my l- backing vocals guitars, guitar group, drums, drum group, etc., etc. So I organize it that way also. Have a consistent way that you do it, something that makes sense to you, and that greatly will improve your workflow. Number seven is, if you can, try to have a dedicated computer for audio. Now, I'll explain a couple of reasons why this is good. Um, First of all, you don't have to install a bunch of programs that you don't need. Um, So you don't have to install... Microsoft Office, if you don't want to, you don't have to install, you know, uh, any sort of, uh, photo editing programs, or you don't have to have your photos on there, you don't have to have, you know what I mean, you don't have to have all these other programs that people use on their computers, um, or, you know, programs for, you know, like TurboTax or something, you know, you don't have to have any of this stuff on the computer, and furthermore, I would recommend that this computer not be connected to the internet, um, Again, partly for safety reasons, just for, um, you know, virus and blah, blah, blah. You want to remove that if you can. I mean, why not, right? Why leave any threats to these sensitive files that we have? Um, but also, it, just for, well, viruses, of course, are bad. Uh, but you, there's a lot of programs that utilize the Internet as a resource. That's probably the bigger reason. Um, Dropbox, Skype, uh, iTunes, um, almost every program out there, you know, will have updates and being trying to update and be looking for updates. And, you know, you don't have to install browsers. You don't have to install any of this stuff. Um, and again, I it, some I totally get it. Some of you might not be able to afford a separate computer, um, you know, for audio only uh, that you can't afford to have connected to the Internet. Not connected, I mean. Um, which I understand, you know. I'm just saying, uh, in my situation, that's what I have, and it has worked really well for me, because I also, I leave this computer on all the time, um, I have Nuendo open all the time, and I just, you know, close a project, open a project, close a project, I, I never close it. Um, the only time I really need to close it is if I install a new plugin, or if I, you know, obviously need to restart my computer, or if I install a new version or an update, Uh, or something like that. And you might ask, well, then how, you know, how do you know if your stuff needs an update? Well, I have another computer, my laptop, that is connected to the internet. Uh, same system that I have on here, Windows 7, uh, 64-bit. Um, I am lazy on updating Windows, though. (laughs) I'm kind of bad about updating things sometimes. Um, but, uh, uh, it has 64-bit, and I have, uh, Nuendo installed on there, so I just move my, uh, Steinberg e eLicenser over there if I need to open up Nuendo. Um, I've got all my plugins installed on that computer also, a duplicate, so I can test plugins and update plugins, and, you know, almost every manufacturer out there has an offline licensing system, or an offline uh, updater, or an offline blah blah blah, you just download the update, um, you know, and so I'll download the plugin, I'll test it on the laptop, make sure that it works, make sure that it doesn't freak out you know, the system or that it's not showing up for some reason or there's some weird trick to get it to authorize or something like that. And I'll figure out all that stuff on my laptop. I can do that anywhere in the world. I mean, I don't have to be by my – I don't have to be at the studio to do that. I can buy a plug-in, you know, at my house and just, you know, researching stuff at night, test it out right then and there. Um, It's not an issue, Uh, and and then when everything's good to go, I move it on to my studio computer, which has no internet connectivity. Now, uh, another thing people might say is, well, what if you have to upload files? Um, Well, when I bring my laptop into the studio, I have it connected through Ethernet to my uh, desktop computer. Now, I'm not positive how it works on Mac, and it might be this way, uh, but on PC, um, you can basically just run an Ethernet cable between two computers and transfer files between them seamlessly in very high speeds. So I set my laptop down on the rack and plug up the Ethernet cable. and uh, I, I have a folder location set where I can automatically drag files into the Dropbox folder on my laptop. And in the background, it will be uploading, um, you know, again, separate computer once it's transferred over. Uh, I can get back to work on my computer and it's uploading over there. And when it's done, it's done. And, um, you know, so that's a big workflow improvement for me, not having to have this computer on the internet and waste all those resources um, to programs that I really just don't need on there. Um, I mean, this computer is basically Nuendo. And that's, you know, I think the only programs I legitimately have installed on here on my computer are Nuendo and a couple versions of it. Uh, 6, 5, uh, 5, four, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I've got contacts for v- VST instruments. Um, I have Vegas Pro. It's a program for video editing. Uh, I don't do much video anymore. A uh, little side story about myself. Before I got into audio, I, I did a lot more video. And, uh, and so I kind of adopted Vegas early on, back in version 6, maybe 5, I don't know. Um, but So I've got Vegas on here still. I don't know if this is even a recent version. Uh, Again, kind of bad about updating these things. Um, But uh, I haven't used it in I don't know how long. But every now and then I'll do video. uh, A video project of some kind. Um, And uh, Nuendo has great features for uh, audio editing for video and things like that. Uh, And I've got uh, iLock License Manager, the eLicenser Control Center from Steinberg. I've got Melodyne. And Isotope RX, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I've got Room EQ Wizard, which I use for uh, measuring my room, and I've got uh, my backup program, my Acronis backup, and that's that's pretty much literally it. I mean, on this computer, as far as programs go, and then everything else is just plugins. Uh, oh, I do have iTunes. I do have iTunes on here. Again, this is probably not the old version. Uh, or this is an old version. I need to upgrade, uh, update to the newest. As you can probably tell, that's really the only downside about having a computer not connected to the internet. In my situation, is you can sometimes get lazy on updates, um, and you realize, oh, they put out an update like six months ago. I really should do that. <laughs> um, and, and you know, and sometimes it, you just forget. And because I don't use my laptop for audio, you don't necessarily see all the updates for plugins or. Uh, things like that, and uh, I'm I don't like getting sp- a bunch of email newsletters from like 50 different people. Um, ironically, me having a newsletter, but uh, anyway, I I some of these places that make plugins and software and things like that, they send out you know emails like every day or every week or you know, and I'm like, gosh, I'm so tired of getting these, and I just delete them so or I unsubscribe, and so anyway. Uh, that's really the only downside. Sometimes you get lazy on your uh, updates, but uh, every other benefit uh, outweighs it. I mean, it really, really does, for me at least. So that's uh, that's my number seven, and that's something I recommend. Have a dedicated computer for audio, don't connect it to the internet, and uh, enjoy the benefits of keeping your computer uh, very free and open. Number six, uh, there are two microphone channels that you should probably have. A talk back mic and a listen mic. Um, so, let me explain kind of what these are if you're not familiar. So, a talk back mic is as simple as a microphone up at the desk to talk to the artist through headphones or whatever. Um, but a listen back mic is a mic out there for them. Now, of course, if you're like recording a vocalist, that doesn't really matter because they, they're already in singing into a mic, but you know, a drummer, for example, giving him a talkback mic. Someone who's out there in the control in the live room playing guitar, you know, give him a mic. Uh, and then I always try to record these um, when I can. So I usually try to record. I have my talkback and listenback set up on dedicated channels on my interface. And again, if you if you don't have a bunch of spare channels on in your interface, this might not be logical. Um, but if you do have some spare channels, you know, it's always interesting to record them um, because sometimes you can get some of these cool sounds uh, out of these mics, you know, people yelling or talking or saying hey or whatever, and I record them. Uh, And this sort of follows along to uh, the other um, adage that people will say, which is just always record. You know, as soon as mics are set up, just start recording. Um, You know, and this is a little more for like, live bands or whatever, Uh, but even still, you know, over on the right side of your session, you know, just press record, Um, just hit record, and if anything comes out, I mean, sometimes what'll happen is, you know, a drummer sits down, and you're sound checking, I always record the sound check, Um, always, because they might, you know, do something, and, you know, the snare sounds a certain way, and then you go tune it up, and it's like, no, let's go back to where we were, same type deal, you want to uh, be able to cover as many bases as you can uh, so I always record the sound check on drums another useful thing is um, you can get samples of the drums if you need to as a as a safety while doing the sound check so you know say hit the snare and let it ring don't don't you know let it ring for a good five to ten seconds they'll hit the snare Okay, there, you got a snare sample. If you happen to need to replace a snare hit or, you know, fix a snare hit, you've got an individual snare sample uh, there recorded. Same with the kick, same with the toms. I mean, uh, it's just a useful thing to have. Um, So having talkback mic, uh, another thing that I like to do is actually record. uh, I have a loopback, so from output to input, on my click, which means that uh, it's easily routable to headphone mixes um and it's also easily recordable so i can actually record the click on an audio track if i need to which again is basically useless until that that time that you need it and then you're like wow that's you know really really important for example let's say you worked up this whole time doing you know a a a tempo track or something really specific with lots of tempo changes and you are transferring it to another daw and uh, for whatever reason, there's some issue bringing in, you know, a MIDI track or something that will um, that will save the tempo changes. Uh, you at least you could have an audio track with the click on it um, that you could send them that will follow those tempo changes. and then they can assemble their, you know, their time changes from there if they need to. Um, it also is is nice for the ability to, you know, let's say there's a section where, The click drops really low and, um, you know, you don't want click bleed. So for some situations it's now in pro tools. And I really do admire this about pro tools. They, they got smart early on and put the click on a actual track with a volume curve that you can automate. And a lot of other DAWs don't do that. Um, Nuendo included, uh, which has always been kind of odd to me, um, now, I'm still exploring this new version of Nuendo. I don't think they have that, but they might. Um, where you can actually automate the click up and down throughout the song as needed. Fade it out, fade it in, um, whatever. Uh, so that's really useful. But for for those of us that don't have that, uh, the ability to quickly record the click track, and that way you can then automate it and uh, you know easily adjust the sound of it um, throughout the song uh, fade it out when it needs to be faded out, or turn it down. Um, just sort of getting those things under control. You know, your your talk back, your listen back, and uh, your click. Those are really important things. But also, recording the talk back and listen back mic are really cool uh, sometimes because you can sometimes get some cool sounds or cool like vocal blips. That the uh, performer might say, or that you might say. Uh, you can get count offs and stuff a little easier. Um, you know, if the drummer clicks off the song, uh, there's a mic, you know, pointing at his face. And sometimes it can actually have a really cool sound and more of a lo fi sound. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I mean, uh, for a talkback, I, I usually recommend a condenser, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a 58 or a 50, you know, 57 or something. Um, I usually just get a cheapo condenser. I think I, mine is a uh mxl like their cheapest small diaphragm mic that they make it's like 60 bucks or something uh it doesn't sound very good but it can be positioned a little bit farther away from me um not be in the way and uh and still pick pick up my voice with enough sensitivity um and then for a listen back i usually use or uh, you know the listen mic or the mic from them on the in the live room you know i Usually use a 58 or 57 or something, anything really. Um, But other than that, one more cool feature that I might add to this is the ability to actually talk back to people without headphones. So maybe put a speaker, and again, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could be the cheapest monitor on Sweetwater, or it could be computer speakers for all you care, you know. Um, But some sort of monitor uh, system out in the live room where you can play back audio. Um, that is a big thing to be able to, you know, talk back to them over speakers um, if you're an, if they're not using headphones, uh, which sometimes is the case, um, or the ability to play it back for them in the room so they don't they can take off their headphones and just listen to it through some speakers. Um, that can be a really useful thing um, because a lot of people, don't mind headphones but some performers and musicians and artists do and as soon as they're done you know they want to get those headphones off because they're hot or they're uncomfortable or whatever um and obviously i do recommend finding comfortable headphones uh, you know put them on yourself and don't buy stuff that's not comfortable for people but um at the same time sometimes it's just nice for them to be able to you know take a break and just listen to it over a pair of speakers, uh, rather than having to listen through headphones or come out to the control room or whatever. So that's also another useful thing I'll throw in there. Number five, get a monitor controller. Uh, I can't tell you how much it improved my workflow when I got uh, when I started getting into the world of analog mon- monitor controllers. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dangerous. Monitor ST is what I use, but there are lots of other ones out there. Dangerous, I think, makes one called the Source um, that's a little cheaper, and uh, there's a lot of them. Like I said, um, Mackie makes the Big Knob. Um, I do recommend if you can afford it, getting something that's stepped, that's a stepped attenuator um, rather than a pot, rather than a variable, you know, volume pot. Um, however, the volume pots work great. Uh, the only thing about those is that they sometimes will, uh, be a little unbalanced at low levels between the left and the right, um... And they get scratchy over time, whereas the stepped ones don't. Um, but again, a lot of the non-stepped ones are a lot cheaper, so it's still worth it. Rather than having none, it's still worth it to get one of those. Um, they have great options with monitor controllers, such as you know, sometimes they have headphone amps in them. Sometimes they have uh, sub outputs for adding a subwoofer very easily. Uh, they have usually have some of them have talkback mics right on them. Um, they have dim controls, they have mute controls, they have sp- controls for multiple speakers, as well as multiple inputs. Um, you know, that's something that I get all the time where guys are like, hey, do you have an aux cable I can plug in my iPhone? And, you know, I, I have a set, I have it on input number two on my, uh, on my dangerous and I have it hooked up to, uh, an aux cable into an isolation transformer, uh, box from radial, um, that I use and, uh. That way they can plug in an AUX cable, very simply. Um, and the isolation box is really, as per dangerous recommendations um, for things like that, for hot plugging things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that is uh, something that's just invaluable to me, having the ability to have all these things right in front of me, right at my right hand. Um And uh, it's just, it's become an integrated part of my work system. I don't even think about it, but I I mean, if this broke for whatever reason, I would have to get one immediately. I mean, I can't work without it. Uh, It's so easy to just grab and easily, you know, turn your monitor system up and down, switch to a different set of speakers, uh, add in a sub, switch to the aux cable, mute. It's got a mono button. You can check mixes in mono, which I do quite often. Um, it's got lots of things, and, you know, it's just extremely useful um, for monitor management. I rec- you know, I recommend going to Sweetwater or Vintage King or any of those websites and and going to their section where you can look at all their monitor controllers and monitor management uh, and just browsing for one, you know, and, and trying to find one that works for your system um, because I, 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 I'm sure you guys might remember me recommending in the past, you know, to A, check mixes in mono, and B, uh, listen on different systems. It's really good practice and even if you don't do it often it's still nice to be able to hear You know, pop it over on a set of computer speakers and listen to it Uh, and you can do that with a good monitor controller so I definitely definitely recommend having that number four get some sort of device to use as a control surface for your DAW now this can be one of the very simple ones uh, like I've got Um, Steinberg makes one called the CC-121 that is specifically geared towards cubase and nuendo and those products so i use the steinberg one Um, but there are lots of them out there that um, allow you to have a motorized and i do recommend only getting one with a motorized fader Um, but motorized fader uh, transport controls you know play stop whatever maybe a couple of preset buttons um, mute solo uh, write read pan pot things like that but it will change your life in terms of automation because drawing in automation by hand is just... It's a thing of the past for me. I mean, sure, every now and then you have to do it. just Or or it's the most logical. Like, if you're just doing a gradual build from start to finish, you know, you don't do that by hand. You just draw that in. Um, uh, you don't necessarily do it by hand. But for automating a vocal or a bass or a reverb on something or a delay on something, for automating a lead guitar... I mean, it's absolutely essential to me to have this motorized fader. And it's just one fader. On this particular one, it's just one. Um, I wish I had one with more faders. Uh, but for me, I mean, generally speaking, I, I'm really only automating one thing at a time, Um for the most part, I wish I had one for automating drums and other things uh, for automating buses. Um, you know, I I'm, I'm I've been looking at some of the options for uh, one with say eight motorized faders. Uh, I really wish I had one like that, but um, I can't I can't work without one of them, you know, at least one fader uh, for automating things. It's just so easy and so so much more natural for me to automate by hand rather than, like, using the mouse and, like, uh, just sort of, like, mousing over the fader and doing, you know, click and hold automation or using the mouse wheel uh, for automation. I mean, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, and I still do it every now and then, but having the, uh, having the faders just... So great, uh, and I really, really love using it. So, I recommend getting some sort of control surface. Even again, the single fader thing, you can get those for usually pretty pretty cheap. Under maybe a, under maybe they might even have one under a hundred bucks now, but I'm somewhere under 200 for sure. You can get one that's just a single motorized fader. Um, and it most of them are USB and they plug and play, you don't really even have to install them, uh, they just kind of work. And, uh, the programs will, basically every program today will recognize control surfaces. And, uh, it's just become so awesome to use. And, um, without it, without it, I mean, automation, I almost would avoid it because it was annoying to do, or it took a long time. And when I got a control surface, it really encouraged me to do more automation. I mean, on anything, any track I could imagine, um, because it was so easy to do. And so intuitive uh, and so that really was a game changer for, for me because I'm obviously really really big on automation I think it's incredibly important um, from making a mix that's just good to something that's really really good um, to to highlight these these moments in very subtle ways and uh, bring out every ounce of excitement that you can in a mix I mean to me the answer is automation and um, of lots of different parameters of anything of plugins of Faders of pan pots of uh, effects of whatever I highly highly recommend that number three utilize templates or session presets or you know whatever particular uh, thing your DAW calls it. Um, I absolutely rely on templates and uh, those types of things for my workflow, so I'll spend hours making templates for various things. Um, mostly for tracking and mixing uh, and mastering as sort of general, and I'll update those templates constantly. But, you know, if you've got a band that you know what their setup is, you know sort of the basic tracks that you're going to need, you know, set them up already. You know, think think beforehand and think, okay, I'm going to have, you know, eight mics for drums or whatever, and they're probably going to be going through these pre's in this order, so I'll just name them already and and route them correctly. Uh, and then I'm going to do guitars and that'll probably go through this and that. And, you know, I'm going to have a bass and then we might do the DI and the amp. Uh, so, you know, you can do all of this stuff before the band gets there and save a ton of time, um, doing it. And if, you know, at the very worst, all you'd have to do is really like maybe reroute some things or rename some things, but you save a lot of time setting up tracks, uh, and, and routing all these things by doing it beforehand and saving a template. Um, and again, the files for templates and, and session again, not very big files, so you can save as many as you want. Um, in my mixing template, my default mixing template, I've got you know eight buses, eight or something like that buses, for the various things, drums, guitars, vocals, backing vocals, et cetera, et cetera. I've got all my effects, my effects that I start with on every mix, which I think I'm up to 16 buses for effects now, and it's funny because I really don't use that many effects in a mix. but and, and yes, it does take up quite a bit of CPU, just, you know, having them sit there. Um, but it's so nice for me to be able to just quickly audition an effect. Like, okay, let's try plate reverb, and I'll try, you know, plate revo- reverb on a vocal. Or let's try stereo delay, or let's try a mono delay, or, you know, a dotted eighth delay, or quarter note delay. Let's try slapback delay. And just, I can quickly just boom, boom, boom. Just... How does that one work? No, that's that's weird. How does this work? Okay. What about this guitar? I'd like to add a spring reverb type sound on the guitar. Okay. Boom. There you go. You don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to. And on my effects buses also, I almost always have three, plug, three or four plugins. Uh, it's never just like one plugin, at least rarely. Uh, and usually for reverbs, I have a plugin uh, set up for my pre-delay. So I'll set the pre-delay in the reverb plugin to zero, but then I'll have a plugin, uh, which is just the stock Nuendo uh, delay with no feedback, obviously. Um, but it will have, you know, like 16th note uh, or 30 second note or eighth note, uh, one tap, you know, 100% wet. And it will, because it's the stock Nuendo plugin, and it's set to a time uh, constraint, such as 16th or something like that, it will automatically adjust to the tempo of the song. I prefer to have my pre-delays in time with the song, uh, whether it's a 16th or an 8th or a 32nd. Uh, usually that's, I mean, I don't usually do quarter. That's pretty long. Um, but uh, usually 16th is, is pretty common for me, and I'll do that as my pre-delay. And that way... Then I can put my reverb plugin second, again 100% wet and no pre-delay, and then uh, after that is usually an EQ uh, where I can tailor the response of the reverb. Now some plugins, uh, I'm a big fan of Altiverb, and it's got some EQ on it. Um, but I still, I'll just bypass that and use another EQ after um, so I can really get down. Some reverb plugins have funky resonances sometimes or sometimes they have too much low end or uh, too much top end and so I'll be able to filter that stuff how I like it. And again, I'm, I'm always tweaking these things like slightly uh, updating them and then within a mix, I'll tweak them if I need to. If I want the reverbs to be a little brighter, I'll just change the EQ that's there and it's very quick for me to be able to adjust the EQ of the reverb just right on that track. I don't have to open up the plugin and adjust like high cut or low cut or high, you know, shelf on the plugin or whatever. Just do it on an EQ that I know and that I'm familiar with. Um, and I definitely recommend, you know, finding those effects that you like and that you use often. And setting them up in your mix template um, so that you can just quickly audition them and see that whether they work. Uh, you know, it's it's so simple, really, when you think about it, but um, it, it's just indispensable to me. I mean, I, I, just, I hate working in sessions where I open it up and none of my stuff is there. And, uh, you know, I got to go searching for it and then set up all these effects buses and then audition them. I mean, it adds an extra you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes to a session to add all those buses and find all the plugins and then add the EQs and add the, you know what I mean? It's a big process. So, and these are, these are effects that I've been using and tweaking and adjusting them to my liking for a long time. Uh, and if one, I find that I don't use it often enough, I'll remove it from my default set. Um, and, and I won't use it anymore and I'll update my template uh, and, and again, another thing with templates is workspaces and just making sure that your screen setups are very, very comfortable for you to work in and that you have consistent workspaces on your computer. Uh, it, it's just, again, trying to remove as much of that stuff as you can and trying to bring back to only worrying about the music and the performance and the take, not worrying about your system and if you're comfortable on your system. You want to try to make your system as comfortable as possible. I mean, that is essentially the definition of a good workflow, is something that is as comfortable and seamless and simple as possible. Um, So definitely, definitely make use of templates and, uh, you know, session data and and things like that that you can quickly load. You know, let's say you get some really cool sound uh, with a, you know, you add four plugins to something and you get some wacky, uh, you know, guitar sound. Uh, a lot of a lot of DAWs allow you to save channel strips. Uh, I know Nuendo does. Um, so you can save that channel strip, whatever it may be. Call it, you know, weird ambient guitar thing, and then you can recall that channel strip at any time. Whatever plugins you had on there, whatever fader settings you had, you know hand spots, et cetera. So if you had, you know, five random plugins on here to get this crazy guitar sound, you can save that channel strip and recall it at any time to try it out. Um, You know, it's essentially like presets on a plugin, but on an entire channel strip, which is really, really cool. And that's how I... That's one way that I also do it. I have some other effects that I I used to use that I don't have on my default set that I have saved the channel strips of, and I can just load up. Hey, what about that weird uh, panning auto panning delay thing that I did with like Tremlo on it or something? I mean, let's try that. Uh, so then I'll pull up that old. I don't have to go searching for the plugins or the preset. I just pull up, you know, my channel strip uh, that I saved. That's called you know weird Tremlo delay. And I, I, there it is. Boom. Um, so again, you want to try to make things as quick as possible for you. And, and, and if your system isn't allowing you to do that, either solve the problems or make a change. Um, go to a different DAW. Try out a different one. Um, go, you know, try out some different methods. Try Break the habits. Try to make your, your workflow seamless. Number two. Now, this isn't necessarily like a computer thing or, you know, this is, this is uh, something that I notice a lot in interns and assistants and also in just in general. I get questions about it uh, on email through the podcast and um, basically if there's one thing for you to understand better than anything in your studio uh, to make workflow seamless, it's routing. Um, routing from mics to pre's, from pre's to uh, compressors or outboard gear if you use it. Uh, routing in the computer. Routing, you know, from for headphones. Routing for just all of that stuff. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I want to split my bass to three channels. I want to do an amp and a DI and a pedal board. You need to be able to quickly route those things and get minimal... If ideally no signal loss and no noise problems, and it's and it all works fine, you need to know how your headphone mixes are set up and be able to set up a headphone mix quickly. If somebody says, you know, hey, I want to do this weird effect on my voice, and you want to be able to split the signal and do a clean vocal and then the also a vocal with the effect, or you know, some guys will have those like pedals, those vocal pedals, and I usually don't use them. But I have the ability to record a dry vocal uh, with a transformer box that will split with no loss and split a clean vocal with no effect and then split to their pedal. Um, Just stuff like that, like being able to basically just do anything with routing and do it quickly. I mean, routing issues are one of the easiest ways to halt a session, and they are not cool because it, A, makes you look like you don't know your own gear, like you, you know, aren't familiar with how to do what they request, um, which, of course, the only reason they really know to request it is because they've done it before. So that means that at some point it was easy for somebody, easy enough for somebody to do it where they were able to do it. So you don't want to look like the guy that doesn't know how to do that. Um, So... Understand routing as I mean every single thing. Understand patch bays. Understand you know how your snakes all hook together. Understand you know how to route from a pre to this to that, or to split a channel, or to split into two channels, or to sum a couple channels, um, or to do your headphone mixes, or to do alt alternate headphone mixes, or to you know again use an aux cable for a uh, you know all that stuff. Learn. And understand your routing basically better than anything else. It's so so important, and to be able to do it quickly, um, especially in the in the computer too. You know, understanding routing to buses and sends, and um, being able to do certain things like that is just it's invaluable. I don't I don't even know how you do your job if you're not good at routing. I mean, that's that's like half of what we do is you know plugging in mics to things and then routing those things to other things. And I mean, it's. It's essential. It's absolutely essential. And it trips up interns and assistants sometimes when they go into a new space and they don't really understand how things are routed and they're confused by the patch bay or they're confused by you know, this and that. And it's, it's fine. It's not, you know, it's totally natural. Routing is not necessarily the easiest thing and and it can confuse people. Um, so definitely don't be confused on it. Be as solid as you can with it. Uh, and it's really not that difficult to learn if you just make it a point to learn it. Uh, so routing, so, so important. And if you have it down cold, if, if you know it like the back of your hand, then sessions will flow very smoothly. All right, so the number one thing that I chose for uh, the ways to improve your workflow is keyboard shortcuts. And I know a lot of you probably already utilize keyboard shortcuts, um, at least for certain things, but I can't recommend enough utilizing keyboard shortcuts for as much as possible. So, as many functions as you can do with keyboard shortcuts, um, try to do them because. It saves so much time being able to quickly work with keyboard shortcuts for all kinds of things, for edit commands, for mixer things, for, um, you know, certain functions. I mean, the mouse is much slower than a keyboard shortcut. Uh, you know, having to go through a menu and go here and then through this and then that and then that and then select and then there you go. You know, that just takes too much time because you do that hundreds of times throughout the day, um... And having it on a keyboard shortcut takes a second. Less than a second. I mean, uh, I, I've i been using Nuendo a long time. The first version of Nuendo that I adopted was Nuendo 3. And uh, so I've been using Nuendo a long time now. And I know the shortcuts like, the back of my hand, and I assign things to new shortcuts all the time. In a program like Pro Tools, uh, you don't really define the shortcuts. They're already preset, but there's a shortcut for, like, everything. I mean, there are thousands of shortcuts that you can do, and I recommend learning and memorizing as many as you can. I mean, I could probably name you 200 shortcuts off the top of my head from memory in Nuendo uh, that I use all the time. And I don't have to go through a menu. I just, you know, Alt-Shift, blah, blah, blah. Alt-Shift-C, Alt-Shift-S, Alt-Shift-W, Alt-Shift-R. Control-Alt-Shift, Control-Shift, Control-Shift-Alt. You know, any of these. There's a million different combinations that you can do. And I utilize them. I utilize as many as my brain can possibly remember. Um, And again, it's helpful that I do this full-time. And so um, I, I get really acquainted really quick with all the things that go on. You know, I'm very familiar with the program. I have a lot of hours in Nuendo, uh, starting from version 3 all the way up till now 7. But uh, the... uh, It's just indispensable. I can't describe it any better than that. I mean, it is one of the biggest improvements to Workflow. And I know guys that get those keyboard overlays for Pro Tools or for other programs where they can... It has the shortcuts printed on them. um, And those are great. I do recommend trying to memorize as many as you can, though, because eventually you won't even think about it, and stuff will just sort of, like, happen underneath your hands without you thinking about it. And, you know, your fingers just reach to the spot automatically because you know what you're going to do. For as many things as you can stand, I mean, honestly, the fastest Pro Tools operator that I've ever seen, I don't even think he touched the mouse. He... I don't even know if he used the mouse for editing. I mean, he was that fast with the keyboard, and it was incredible to watch him work. Um, I mean, it was absolutely... It was like a wizard. I mean, he was just incredibly fast with with Pro Tools, working it, operating it. I mean, he could do five things in in five seconds, and it would have taken somebody five minutes with a mouse. You know, it's it's amazing. And... Uh, That was sort of the moment, and that was a couple versions of Pro Tools back, but that was the moment when I really realized the importance of key shortcuts and how much time they can save, you know, to see this guy set up all these channels, add these plugins, route these things to those things, and do it in, you know, under a minute. I mean, it was amazing. Um, It would take the average person, you know, five minutes, five, ten minutes to do all that. Uh, So... Definitely utilize your keyboard, you know, utilize it as much as possible. If your program has the ability to assign shortcuts, then assign them yourself and make them your own. Make them make sense to you. Uh, If it's a preset key shortcuts that you can't redefine, then learn them. There are books out there uh, that are, you know, set up for... uh, Teaching you a program, Logic or Cubase or Pro Tools or whatever, and they often are very good tools for reading about shortcuts because it will organize them a little bit better, and, you know, it'll be talking about these functions, those functions, you can do this with this shortcut, and here's this property, you know, here's this thing you can do, and this is the shortcut for it, etc., etc. Like, it's just organized a little better rather than, like, a huge PDF file full of shortcuts, um, You know, it, it'll actually talk about what it does more in depth and then give you the shortcut. Um, so, again, I can't recommend using those enough. It absolutely will speed up your workflow. Um, now, the last thing I wanted to talk about, this isn't, you know, a number on my list, but uh, I often get questions about how to improve workflow and how to speed up workflow. and. And again, I hate giving this answer because it's kind of a stock answer to things. But the best way to improve your workflow is to work and just do it and, and you know, make changes, make good improvements on your system and just get used to it. You kind of just need the hours and the time put in to really get that uh, better. Now, if, for example, you're trying to improve your mixing speed, if you feel like it takes you forever to mix a song, you know. The only way to really do that is to practice at it and give yourself time limits. If you if it takes you 8 hours to mix a song or 10 hours to mix a song, you know, let's say it takes you 10 hours, then try to mix a song in 8 hours. And if you can do that, okay, try to mix a song in 6 hours. If you can do that, maybe try to mix a song in 5 hours, etc. And just get better at that. Try to get better. And again, if you improve your workflow, that can remove a lot of time uh, from editing and from tuning and from you know mixing in general and mix setup to where all of a sudden it takes you half the time to do something that used to take you a long time and now it's like wow I don't even I don't even worry about that now it used to take me so long um, but that's partly because of your workflow and having a consistent workflow that makes sense um, is just so so essential to speeding up your process. And also just improving it Um, because the better you know your system, the better you can focus on other things like, you know, the actual sound that you're recording rather than, you know, uh, I can't get it to record. I can't figure out it's not routing correctly or what, you know, all that crap. You don't need to worry about that. That's useless stuff that is just wasting time and energy. Um, To get, you need to get back to the music, get back to the actual things that matter. If you're having to worry about how to do an edit or a certain function or a certain key command or a certain, you know, you can't get something to work or something's messing up or it's not working how you're most familiar with it or, you know, all that stuff is wasted time and you just don't need that. So you really got to just put in the time, make a list if it helps you of all the issues that you have. Um, Anytime a new program comes out, and there's a beta release or something like that, uh, and you know they're releasing it to the public to test. I always keep a list of all the things that issues that I find as soon as I have an issue with it or a freeze or a crash or uh, you know some weird funky bug, I'll write it down and then I either bring it up on a forum or you know they'll often ask for you know hey what bugs did you guys find? We'll try to improve them, and so you can list them. But also just to make sure that. Either a maybe I'm doing something wrong, and maybe I can. It's something has changed in this version, and it's you can still do it, but it's in a different menu or it's a different shortcut or something like that. Um, that happens a lot. So uh, issues like that sometimes you can resolve yourself. In which case, try to resolve them. You really just it's really just about being diligent at at the craft and and paying attention to your shortcomings and you know what takes me a long time. Does editing take me a long time? Well, okay. Um, what ways could I improve editing? Um, what, what takes me the longest? Is there any way that I could consolidate some of these things to shortcuts or batch processes or macros or, uh, you know, is there anything that I can do? Um, it's kind of like the whole assembly line thing, you know, it's magical how doing certain things in an assembly line format, um, just really can speed up the process. And, uh, you know, it's uh, such a simple thing. It's just a reorganization of the same exact processes, um, but just done in a more logical way. And that is a lot about, you know, kind of what we're talking about is, is organizing your workflow and removing as many variables as you can to try to make it as seamless and simple as possible. And whatever that is for you, whatever makes the most sense for you and, and gives you the best results is what's right. What I've said today, some of these things might not work for you. They might be more complicated. They might complicate your workflow. But I do encourage you to at least try them and see if they help your workflow in your system. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, like I said, I, I often get comments and emails about workflow and mix setup and, uh, and how, sort of how my system works. Um, as always, you can check out the Facebook page at facebook.com recordinglounge. You can check out the blog, uh, which, again, I'm pretty bad at updating. Sorry about that. Recordingloungepodcast.blogspot.com. Send me an email at recordingloungepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com for show suggestions, uh, comments, questions about anything, really. Um, I, I get a lot of ideas from my podcast from listeners uh, and I mean that means you if you're listening to this. So, just send me an email if you'd like to hear me talk about something, uh, and it's something that I can sort of logically and and talk about and make sense of and and essentially teach easily. Then uh, then I will make a show about it. If you have a question about something that you've been struggling with um, with your audio. Adventures, then email me and I'll try to help you when I can. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that have uh, sent me emails and, and I've answered your questions and uh, they will all tell you that I'm usually pretty quick to answer emails and I'm often quite verbose when I answer emails. I'm very uh, <laughs> very wordy and I'll I'll respond with very lengthy emails uh, when I when I can um, and sometimes I will even just make uh, audio responses like on if I'm away and I'm on my phone. And I'll just make a voice memo and send it to you. Uh, I can get a lot more information in that way sometimes. Um, I'm also starting the process of doing mix reviews. They cost $20, and uh, you can send payment through PayPal. Uh, So you can send me your mix, and I will give you a mix review, and uh, I'll listen through it and either make, like I said, a a long email or an audio file of me talking about the mix um, with just suggestions that I would do. Um, You know, things that pop out to me, things that bother me, uh, things that I would change or alter. Uh, And again, you can take them or leave them. You can do all of them or none of them, Um, but I've gotten a lot of requests for mix reviews, and so I decided just to sort of start advertising it. You can buy my book on mixing called Three-Dimensional Mixing, Uh, still only in PDF form at the moment, but I am getting very close to finishing uh, the second edition so that I can make a physical copy. Um, And I found a place that uh, I can use to distribute those copies. That's very simple for me. Um, But I've done a lot of uh, updates to the book, and I'm really happy with them, and um, a lot of modifications. And again, it's still not perfect, but uh, I am sort of a perfectionist when it comes to to my book, so um, in my spare time, what little spare time I have, I have been updating the book and, uh, and making the second edition for a physical release, but... Currently in PDF, oh, and I just thought I'd mention, I think I said this on another show, but if you have purchased the PDF already, I've got you on file, which means that you will get a free copy of the second edition in PDF form. Unfortunately, I was not able to secure a way for me to give a discount on the physical copy. So if you really would prefer a physical copy, just wait till that comes out. Um, since it's only in PDF right now but if you like the PDF um, then you will get a free copy of the new second edition Uh, I've got all the email addresses that I can just send it out in bulk uh, for people that have purchased it before so you're good there don't worry about that um but yeah physical copy i'm not sure on the price yet still working that out with the company um but uh, yeah you can go buy my book in pdf right now at 3 dimensionalmixingcom and that's spelled out three-dimensional mixing no it's not the number three it's the word three three-dimensional uh it's a secure site um You know, there's. I don't keep your credit card information, obviously. You know, I'm not a criminal. I'm a good guy. You should know that by now. And you can sign up. I'll just mention this again. You can sign up for the mailing list. Free, no spam mailing list at recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up. I am also currently trying to work on a Recording Lounge website. Yay! Uh, Where I can get rid of the blog... And just work on a website. Uh, And again, I I don't have a lot of spare time. It's a miracle that I got a show out this month. Um, I usually end up doing them on days off or, you know, it's random times, two in the morning. I don't have a lot of time to do the podcast, but I still want to consistently get out shows every month. Um, You know, I work 60 hours a week doing audio. And uh, so it's a pretty time-consuming job slash Hobby. I mean, I do love what I do also. So, you know, in my spare time, I also like reading about things and going on forums and learning new things and trying out new techniques. I mean, so, yeah, I appreciate all the support that you guys have. I appreciate that you guys are still listening. Uh, I appreciate that all the nice reviews on iTunes. uh, Very much appreciate those. And I love getting emails that are just... Uh, you know, thank you emails. Those are very, uh, those are encouraged too, (laughs) but I do appreciate those greatly. They, they mean a lot to me. They make me want to keep doing the podcast and, uh, they make me want to keep it free. Also, I would love to keep the podcast free as long as I can. Um, I don't want it to become a burden and, uh, and I don't want to have to charge people for it. Um, now I would like to one day have sort of premium content that, you know, are more in-depth lessons that, you know, for a small fee, will have more like video lessons and things like that. I think that would be really cool. And it would allow me to have more content um, that obviously would take a lot more time and stuff, but for a small fee, you could, you know, get access to videos and other premium content. I would like to do that. Again, that's all in the spare time of an audio engineer. So, and other than that, I look forward to hearing from you guys on email with show suggestions. Uh, I love, you know, hearing from you guys on the Facebook page and having that community there. Um, so go check those things out send me an email and I'll talk to you guys next time.